Welcome into another edition of the Wisports.net podcast. I'm Travis Wilson, general manager at Wisports.net, and your host for the WSN podcast. What a, uh, I think, good couple weeks it has been in the return to play space, getting back to high school athletics. So much information that has come out that has moved us closer to the uh, the return to play. And in fact, today, July 1st, there are teams participating in high school athletics summer contact, uh, allowable coach uh, contact, uh, school contact uh, in the summertime. So uh, really a big milestone today as, uh, as teams have gotten back at it. In the last couple weeks, we've, we've talked about it a little bit, but you know we got guidance from the WIAA on uh, return to play, uh, summer contact specific. We got further guidance from the WIA on sports-specific guidelines, what can be done at different uh, in different sports right now, uh, examples and best practices for, for specific sports that carry their unique challenges. We got uh, the results of a, uh, a UW Health survey by, uh, by Dr. Tim McGoin from UW Health and also a member of the WIAA Sports Medical Advisory Committee that outlined um, really significant and alarming mental health impacts of uh, school closures and sport cancellations that, you know, I, I think further the idea that, that we should be uh, trying to provide a, uh, a healthy return to play environment where possible. Um, the WIA testified at a state legislative uh, subcommittee on education about return to play and why it's important for for uh, for high school sports to be part of the discussion of schools reopening. There was a video call yesterday uh, for the WIAA with school superintendents, uh, public health officers, uh, members of the media, where Dr. McGoin uh, presented the the findings of his study. Uh, Dr. Kevin Walter, another uh, member of the Sports Advisory Committee, answered questions as well. Um, so a lot of steps taken to get back to play. Uh, and so I, I think it's been a, a really good couple of weeks. I, I know there's some some folks that were kind of frustrated by, you know, certain parts of the guidance that came out. But to, to be honest with you, the guidance that was released by the WIAA was um, not as harsh as as I thought it might be, and as, as I have seen some of the other guidance that's come out from various organizations, whether it's national governing bodies, um, what have you. I mean, if, if you look at some of those, they are a little bit uh, more restrictive on what could be done. And, and the WIA, as I've said before, the WIAA's guidelines basically said, okay, it, it, the decision on whether you participate is going to be up to your school, your school superintendent and school board, and also your local public health officer. And if they allow, here's what we recommend your guidelines to be. Um, so I, I thought they were actually uh, very good steps to get back to play. Uh, and I, I didn't necessarily agree with, with some of the, the comments um, you know, about how people felt they were too restrictive. So again, a, a lot of positive momentum that has occurred in the last couple of weeks to get us to this point where, again, there are school-sponsored activities happening right now with with uh, with coaching contact in the month of July that will continue in the month of July. We're still a ways away from not the finish line because the finish line could change, 
but we're we're at least um, you know in the ballpark of the 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 race starting, and that is the actual high school sports practices beginning in August, starting with high school football practices that first week of August. Um, it's a month away, but so many things could change in the next month that uh, you know we're not sure where things are going to be. But to help us figure out where things may be, what kind of things will go into those decisions, and also how the uh, how things have gotten to this point where we're at a return to play, where we're uh, talking about guidelines and, and, and things like that. Um, in just a moment, we will bring on Dr. Wade Lebecki, the Deputy Director of the WIAA, to get his, uh, his insight on the process that, that has got us here, and again, how uh, things will proceed forward as we, uh, as we try to get back to play. So again, I, I really uh, remain positive that we're going to have high school sports. We might not have high school sports everywhere, um, but uh, we're going to have something. I, I, I'm very confident. Um, I'm very confident that um, you know the, the decision makers and the leaders will find a way to safely resume school, first of all. That has to happen before anything else can happen, and that they will uh, you know, look at the, the positive impacts of uh, high school athletics, the negative impacts of potentially closing them down again, and find a, a path forward that can, can be a healthy and safer uh, option. Uh, as, as Dr. Lebecki will, will talk about in just a moment, uh, you know, he hesitates to use the word safe because anytime you participate in athletics, you're taking on a certain amount of risk, um, but safer in, in a healthy atmosphere is, uh, is the driving force for uh, getting back to high school sports here in the next, uh, well, now and over the next couple weeks and, and into, the, into the, uh, the next month. As we continue our discussion of return to play, what better uh, time and what better opportunity to go direct to the source and, and talk to the folks that are making those kinds of return to play decisions. And we will talk to Dr. Wade Lebecki, the Deputy Director of the Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association, who has been uh, at the forefront of uh, developing these return to play guidelines and, and how things are going to work going forward. Uh, Wade, how's it going today and uh, how's it feel to be uh, at least in the realm of sports happening today on July 1st? You know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see and I'm hoping that um, our schools can go ahead and provide some sort of um, connection to uh, the kids. I'm, I'm thinking that uh, most of them will in some shape, manner, or form, but it's, it's good for the kids. Uh, I know there's some people who are concerned out there, um, you know, that this may spread the uh, COVID virus, but um, hopefully that our, our schools will take some of our guidance and, and, and make sure that there's proper hygiene and proper social distancing according to their risk level. Have, uh, have you tracked or, or has the WI tracked what schools are actually going to be partaking in um, regular summer contact opportunities and or the extended 30-day spring opportunities? You know, we don't have, a, we don't have anything um, telling us who is taking advantage of the spring opportunity. Um, that extension, I, I think the majority of our schools uh, decided that they would not take advantage of that just because of the uh, issues that would revolve around transportation and um, some of those things. So I don't think the, the spring option is, is being utilized by many of the schools. I would imagine that 
um, our coaches are taking advantage of their coaching contact. I know, you know, uh, some baseball coaches and softball coaches have been coaching their non-school teams uh, already. That you know, which is an option that they have if they're a baseball coach, they can coach a travel baseball team, or, or a softball coach can coach a travel softball team. So, I think there's been some of that already going on, and uh, we did, you know, provide out some sports-specific guidance um, earlier for uh, for baseball. And I believe now we, you know, have distributed, I think as of last week, Friday, we distributed sports-specific uh, guidelines for all sports. We wanted that out by July 1st, uh, just because of the summer contact period. So it's been a, a pretty busy last couple weeks as, as we've built up to this point of some kind of high school sports opportunities returning. Uh, let's go back a little bit and um, let's talk about the, uh, the day that you spent at the state legislature uh, in a education subcommittee hearing. Um, how, how do you think that day went talking with the lawmakers there? You know, I, I, I thought it was a good informational session. Um, Dave was able to talk and present um, his thoughts uh, on school reopening and, and you know we want to be able to go ahead and and provide a healthy environment for the kids uh, we didn't we can't say safe because it's, uh, there's always going to be some risk involved but we want to go ahead and reduce that risk as much as possible and that's what we tried to convey to them we also had dr mcguine uh, uh, up there with us as a member of the sports medical advisory uh, committee and he presented his information on the, the level of fitness of kids physically and the uh, level of uh, their mental wellness and their, their emotional status right now. So uh, we thought it went well. Um, we did have multiple um, lawmakers who uh, do want school sports to go on and, uh, and begin in the fall. Uh, so it's, it's kind of one of those um, areas that we were able to present our guidelines and present where we were at and some examples. Some, some of them took us to task on a few things, but. You know, that's to, that happens down there. But uh, overall, I thought um, it was a very good informational session. So there's, uh, as you mentioned, been some uh, general guidance that's come out, some sports-specific guidance as well. Uh, you mentioned the study by Dr. McGoin in, in a uh, really good presentation by Dr. McGoin yesterday um, on a video conference call with uh, superintendents and school administrators around the state, as well as uh, a number of health officials, local health officials from around the state. Uh, how do you think that call went yesterday? You know, I think it was informative and, and you know, I think most educators are aware of the um, vulnerabilities of the uh, students um, and student-athletes. And, you know, they're aware of that situation, but I think it's good to have a researcher bring that forward. And understanding that, you know, our chair, uh, Dr. Walter, was also on the, on the Zoom meeting, that we, have, we are relying on, relying on medical um, information and on our medical experts. This isn't... Uh, uh, two lay people up here in our office developing guidelines. We're, we're utilizing uh, our experts in order to do that. Uh, I thought the, the discussion was good. You know, it, it's, it's the a Association of uh, the American Association of Pediatrics came out with their study a few days ago as well. And that study um, talks about, you know, reentry of schools. And it, it's very heavy on the, the fact that they want the students to be able to get back into the school. The school is so important for being able to reach out to kids 
and kids to have that support system because not everybody has that. But school is the one place where they can address, you know, the learning deficits that you can't do virtually. They can address um, the abuse issues or substance abuse issues or or the depression. They, they have those um, opportunities at a school where if they're at home, they don't. So I think, you know, the association of uh, the American Association of Pediatrics is, is very strongly pointing to uh, getting kids back in school. Uh, we understand that, you know, there are some issues that, that can happen with that, but, you know, some of those can be solved with the social distancing and the masking and, and so forth and so on. But I think, you know, yesterday we wanted to give our school administrators um, some background on uh, the mental wellness and the physical wellness of, of the student-athletes, that was through a survey. It also provides them some um, background material to use in their decision-making process. One of the uh, things that, that came out of the guidelines that uh, the WI had released recently um, talked about risk levels, and there was a little bit of confusion in, in one of uh, give you a chance to clear some of that up as well. Uh, there was risk levels around, um, you know, what your local health department said in terms of, um, you know, where, where your local community or your county is at, uh, and, and those different risk levels had certain guidelines, you know, how many people could be involved in a workout, what they could do, et cetera. But there was also, uh, later on in the document, risk levels around certain sports, certain sports being higher risk levels than others. And, some people got those a little bit confused, thinking that because, for instance, football was a high-risk sport, that it had to uh, follow the high-risk guidelines. And, and just, I, I want to give you a chance to kind of clear that up and provide some clarity for those that uh, weren't quite uh, understanding what those two different things meant. Right, and, and you know, uh, we, we wondered about that early on. Um, that was using the... Um, the definitions by the Olympic committees to go ahead and define um, which sports and where they existed. And some would argue that basketball isn't a moderate risk sport. But um, there's two different sections in that document. The first section, section uh, A, is dealing with the practice and the, and the contact periods. And there are different categories that are there. And the, using the word risk in both confuses some people. The first category is your environmental risk. That's your community risk. What is the level that your county has um, for their, their level of risk? And the DHS put out a nice dashboard on their website. If you go to the Wisconsin DHS website, they do have a county-by-county um, map and stats for each county, and, and it does describe which environmental risk they're at. Uh, so it's, 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 it's a neat little tool that people can use. So if you are up in Bayfield County, it's low risk uh, for envi environmental risk. But if you're down in the southeast like Walworth or Jefferson, it's high risk. And that will tell you what the environment or community is. And that's where you go into the, that section there that um, describes how you clean, uh, how many people can be involved in a drill, so forth and so on. So the high risk level for environment in that community is determined by that dashboard. When you get into the second section, section B, that's for contests. So it's, uh, that's completely separate from what your county is. So if your county is in 
a low environmental risk, you can play a game. Well, then you go to that other category there, and where is your sport categorized in? And I think if you look at that risk level for that category for what type of sport is more risk or more exposure than others, then you see football and wrestling and rugby are at the top of that. That's a high exposure risk sport. So that means that if you're tackling, you could go ahead and, and be at more risk because you're closer to the people. If you're on the line of scrimmage, you're going to be more exposed, have a higher exposure, and that's the term we probably should have used. But we went with the Olympic Committee terms. But if you play seven-on-seven seven football, that's a moderate exposure risk. So the, the further away you get from the contact, the more you socially distance, uh, then the exposure risk is less. So one is an environmental risk and one is an exposure risk, and that's how that is. Uh, so, and you know, even uh, I, I think with the, um, the American Association of Pediatrics uh, report, they even said that, you know, it's, a, it's a, the time of exposure. So, you know, really in football, while the distance might be close, it's only close for, you know, a matter of five seconds or, or 10 seconds, whatever a play takes. So uh, that category there might even have, have that sport categorized incorrectly. You know, wrestling, if it's uh, high exposure, that's when you're competing, and you're competing for six minutes, and you are face-to-face, -face, you are in a pinning combination, uh, you're in, you know, uh, a takedown position or a collar lock, um, those, then, then it's a high exposure. But if you are doing shadow takedowns, then it's low exposure. So it really depends on what the what type of activity you're doing in that sport. And that's why we did the sport-specific uh, guidelines, to go ahead and give coaches examples in each of those environmental risk areas, examples of drills they could do. So they could still get their kids together, but they may be, all be socially distanced in the room and uh, practicing air takedowns and, and doing that type of routine rather than going ahead and uh, competing against each other and being high exposure. So hopefully that explains it. But one is what level of risk your county is at based on the number of cases, based on the number of deaths, based on that. That's environmental risk. That determines what you can do. The other category was how, how a sport will expose based on competition. So that's the that's exposure to have in sports. A completely different category that some people have been, been you know, getting them confused. Sure. Uh, so the, the guidelines that have been put out so far relate to summer time, this, this July period essentially. Um, the WI has, has indicated that you anticipate putting out additional guidance for actual fall sports. How close to the summer contact guidelines do you think those fall sport guidelines will, will end up being? I think they're going to be very close, if not exactly, with a, a few additional things. I don't think there's going to be much to change. The, the doctors, and, and uh, we had talked about it in our office and with our doctors, and we're, we're, we're just not seeing what else is going to need to be changed. What we may do is, is get more sports-specific and how do you conduct a contest um, in the various risk settings, you know. So 
if, if you're in a high-risk area, your health department might tell you, well, you can play, but not with, with fans in the stands. And if you're in a low risk, you know, have plenty of, if you're doing an indoor volleyball um, match, go ahead and have the hand sanitizers on the on the stand so people can go ahead and make sure they're sanitizing their hands. And, and you know, you might make a recommendation to encourage people to wear a mask uh, if they're indoors, because the longer you're indoors, the, the more exposure you have. So I anticipate that we will not change much in the, in the general guidelines but I think that we may go ahead and see more in conducting the stuff. And some of the sports specific, we've done that. Um, uh, Kate peterson Abia did the basketball and cross-country and track, and she included competition types of um, guidelines because, you know, in basketball, some coaches may use their contact days to go ahead and, and uh, enter into a non-school basketball tournament. Or you may have kids who are running in a 5K meet, and, and there might be ways to go ahead and and conduct those. So we, we anticipated some of those will have some competitions during the summer. I anticipate that that's what we'll see coming out in the fall will be more um, guidelines on how to conduct a contest and how to, how to make sure that things are in there already. A lot of our schools are already doing that, so we might be able to take some of them, their resources, and, and utilize that rather than reinventing the wheel. We're talking with Dr. Wade Lebecki, the Deputy Director at the WIAA. Uh, you mentioned spectators at events. Do you expect that the WIAA would provide guidance on if spectators can be at events or how many? Or, or would that be more of a local decision or, or health department decision, do you think? Again, I think that's going to be a local health department decision. Um, if the county is high, obviously they're going to restrict the number of people that can be at a gathering. And I think most, you know, like Milwaukee, I think, was restricted to 250 uh, last week in Waukesha County was 100. So it really will depend on, on what their current status is, and then the schools will have to follow that. Like I said, up north, uh, Ashland County and Mayfield County, they're low risk, so they, they may have different rules on, on what the spectators are, are allowed. And that's all going to have to be, you know, collaborating with the local health department and the schools and, and, and their leaders and getting together, making those decisions. Uh, we just saw yesterday, I believe it was, that the, uh, the state of Michigan is part of their reopening schools uh, program. The governor there um, encouraged the state association to consider uh, swapping sports. And I know that's something that you guys addressed a couple of different times. And we're not necessarily asking about that specifically. But have, have you gotten input or do you anticipate input from the state, additional input from the state to determine guidelines to determine what happens, to determine, you know, how things work this fall, or are, are they kind of given you your guidance and said, okay, here, kind of go from here? You know, we've been working with the DHS on those general guidelines, and we did provide the sports-specific guidelines to them before they went out. So uh, we've been, uh, I think, have, have a good working relationship with the DPI and with the DHS. So I don't, you know, I don't anticipate that we'll have any issues there. Uh, it's best to go ahead and then see if we can keep everybody on board because we don't need to reinvent the wheel, and we want to make sure everybody's on there, on, on board. And, and the DHS, just through our collaboration, is, is using the same guidelines that we just put out. So I think that it's something says something about our medical staff and or our medical committee and, and, and that. I don't anticipate that we will be seeing a whole lot of 
um, that it, it may change uh, depending on the situation and, and depending on how it gets involved. But right now, I think with the current um, political climate after the, the lawsuit, I don't I don't know how much input we'll get in there beyond you know the informational meeting we had with the assembly. Uh, we won't ask you to, to make your prediction or, or what you think will happen, but, but what are timelines that, that will be important as we gear up to uh, the first football practices just over a month away? Uh, what are some timelines, key dates to keep in mind as we get set for that, uh, for that resumption of sports this fall? You know, right now, um, we're going as planned as we normally would. Um, things will probably kick up a little bit more after July 4th. Uh, we're going to get our sports medical uh, committee back together in July. Hopefully we can do that. Um, you know, they're busy catching up on all of their uh, clinics that were closed for, you know, a couple months. But hopefully we can get them back in and, and, and start doing some, um, I guess, uh, planning for the fall. Right now, like I said, it, it, we're talking about getting the kids connected back to their school, back to their teammates and back to their coaches um, and we're trying to go ahead and, and do that in a healthy manner uh, with as low risk as we can so we want to go ahead and do that when it comes down to competitions and that we're just not there yet um, you know we're, we're planning on them and if, if, if schools offer uh, fall sports um, uh, we, we will have a tournament if, uh, if we can but that's you know it, it changed so quickly uh, for for the girls' basketball tournament and boys' basketball tournament that it's hard to predict what's going to happen. But, uh, you know, our, our plan is to go ahead and, and see how we can get those kids back connected. So I would say middle of July we'll get the smack back together and, and see what they can do, and then and, and, um, we'll, we'll see how it goes county by county. Uh, one of the things that, that I think most people are anticipating, at least is a pretty strong possibility is that there are some areas and in, in some schools that will be participating in fall sports and there are some that will not be whether it's their local health uh, department whether it's the school themselves um, if if there's a situation where some schools participate and some don't is there any um, possibility of state level scheduling uh, for football, for instance, to facilitate finding games and replacement games, or would that still, do you think, all be left up to schools to work out? You know, we've, it's always been a local, uh, the schools, I mean, we just put that up on the games wanted list and, and do that. We certainly um, can see if there's a way to facilitate that uh, a little bit easier, but um, uh, right now there's no, no plans on going ahead and, and doing statewide scheduling. That would, it's difficult to uh, to go ahead and do that, um, you know, and, and if there's parts of the states that are shut down and, and, and parts of the state that aren't, it's best to stay in your area. So we would encourage people to go ahead and, and play contests um, in, in their region or area where, the, you know, they have low risk uh, according to their county um, environmental um, risk level. So we would probably encourage people to stay in their own area. It's not one of those things that we want, you know, a school going from lacrosse over to Green Bay to play a football game and, and do that risk. In fact, we received an email this morning from somebody who was extremely worried about the kids coming back and spreading uh, the COVID. So, you know, we've been trying to trying to go ahead and, and be in the middle um, as, 
as we're going through there and, and, and with the understanding that once again it has to be a healthy environment where the, uh, the risk level of spreading is, is, is mitigated and, and, and minimum. Uh, we're, you're never going to eliminate everything all of the time. Our sports are, are uh, there's a risk every time somebody steps on a football field. Um, but, you know, we want to protect those vulnerable people and make sure that we do have uh, measures in place for the officials, um, you know, and, and, and measures in place for spectators and, and what's going to be the best situation for those counties that have that. You know, and going back to um, the, uh, you mentioned it and, and we went over it real quick, um, uh, flipping the sports seasons and, and the National Federation national conference summer meeting is going on right now and uh, since we can't be over there in, in Denver going through our sessions we've been doing them zoom so uh, I feel like I'm, I'm zoomed out but um, yesterday uh, during the football discussion Dr. Keister who is um, the chair of the National Federation of Sports Medical and, and he did a presentation on Monday and um, on sports medical and then he was um, talking about football yesterday his concern is if, if we were to move football to the spring, you're going to have football following in August next year. So it's nice. It's going to create and exasperate other issues. So if you if you start football, say, you know, March 15th, and your state tournament was June 12th, as, as we're using a baseball schedule or the soccer schedule, um, June 17th, uh, you've only got six weeks off before you start your next football season. And the overexposure concerns there uh, that he raised kind of, you know, raised a little bit of alarm with me that, you know, most people don't think of that, uh, you know, and don't think in that process. So he stated that he would be against moving football. And in that sense, that you know, it, it sounds easy to do, but it's not because as soon as you move track into the fall, now what's that do to your cross-country team and what's that do to your volleyball team and what's that do to your, you know, those teams. So then you have to move the entire fall season and the entire spring season. So it's not as easy to do as you would think because, you know, there's a lot of three-sport and two-sport athletes. And when you start mixing those spring sports into the fall, I think that, that could screw things up. So those were my two thoughts on there as, as we were talking about that. Hopefully they make some sense. Absolutely, and, and others have mentioned as well the the possibility that you know spring sports already were canceled. If you flip them to the fall, and, and there is a, you know an issue with the fall sports, now you could have students miss out on two consecutive years of, of spring sports, which you know wouldn't perhaps be an equitable situation uh, either in in some people's eyes. So certainly see the uh, the concerns there. Um, before we let you go, Dr. Lebecki, I want to ask you about a question that I've gotten from a number of people, and I know you, you addressed it on, I believe it was the call yesterday, or perhaps it was the Board of Control meeting, but that involves transfers and, and waiver requests. In the event that a school decides that they're not going to have a football team or have a boys' soccer team, um, currently, WI rules would not allow a transfer to a different school to participate um, deeming that an, an athletically motivated transfer. Um, do you anticipate any further discussion of that at the Board of Control level uh, for 
potential, at least discussions around allowing those kinds of, of transfers? You know, that's really a discussion for the membership. Um, I do anticipate that there's going to be some people who want to do that because I get emails daily asking about that. Um, but uh, right now, I, you know, the transfer rule would, would not provide any relief except for 10th graders. Uh, ninth graders and 10th graders can transfer without any restrictions. 11th and 12th graders would have restrictions placed upon them. So I, I, there will be, I, I would assume, some people who want to do that transfer. I do think that our member schools will try to um, have their fall sports. Uh, the bigger concern, I think, is if whether or not parents will be comfortable enough for their kids to go to school and to be eligible that way. Um, I get a, quite a few in, inquiries about can, can we go to online school and still be eligible at our school. Well, you can only be eligible at your school uh, online if the online education is provided by your school, whether they paid a tuition at a different online school or they you know, have done, done virtual, and they've done it all this spring but offered virtual opportunities to their students through there. So there's a, there's a whole range of eligibility questions right now. The transfer rule would say if, if you were going to uh, lacrosse uh, Logan and they decided not to have football this year and you wanted to transfer to Toma without a total and complete change of residence of the entire family uh, and a permanent change, the, the student would be ineligible or the transfer rule would apply to them. So. Uh, that would be in that situation. So uh, it's best to go ahead and, and work through your school and, and, and see what opportunities that they're going to provide. And I, I think most of our school leadership will, will attempt to uh, put sports out. But, you know, you may, it may not be the fact that a small school says we don't want football. It may be a fact that they don't have enough kids to play football. And we've had that happen in the past, and we have not provided uh, – waivers for that situation so um, it's a ways off but uh, we've been we've been thinking about a lot of different scenarios that uh, keep popping up with with uh, as a result of this virus uh, I, you mentioned scenarios for schooling and I, I want to ask about that really quick as well so the uh, DPI when they put out their school guidance they put out a number of different example scenarios of how school could work in the fall from a you know everybody's back to school uh, five days a week to possible hybrid scenarios of two days of in-person, two days of, uh, of virtual learning, return to fully virtual learning, those kinds of things. Um, if a school is going virtual, you anticipate that they probably won't have sports, obviously. But uh, if, if they were in a hybrid model where they were two days at school, two days virtual, or they did an A-B scheduling where one group of kids was in school one week and the next group was in school the other week... Um, would those schools, per WI regulations, be able to, if they choose, to continue to offer sports? Yes. Um, you know, the, the key there is uh, is that students have to be considered full-time students at their school to participate in sports at their school. And the only exception is if, if a home-based private education student, a homeschool student, uh, that's taught as a single unit by their family. So no matter how the programming is presented to the students, as long as their school policy uh, states that they're a full-time student, they're eligible. So the schools can offer, you know, virtual education for everybody and then bring the kids together in the evening for practice. That would be allowed. 
um, it's up to the school on how they present their programming. So, uh, you know, if they want to go 100% virtual uh, and, and the school considers all those students uh, full-time students, they're eligible. If the school goes with the alternating days plan, that's fine. If, they're, if the school says they're full-time status uh, for, you know, DPI aid, they're eligible, and that's the key. It doesn't matter how the education is presented. So we have some schools who uh, have kids who want to go to a virtual school. That school will pay the tuition for the virtual school, give their own diploma, and, and allow them to participate in school athletics. That's allowed if you do it through your school. And that's the key. The school provides the education, and that's where it is. If you're open enrolled in another school, then you're not eligible at the school where you reside. So. So it's really, you know, full-time status and who is providing the education. Dr. Lebecki, we've uh, we've taken a little bit longer than we initially planned, but appreciate all of the insight that, that you've been able to provide. I'm sure that uh, there'll be a number of uh, questions and, and things that'll come up, and, and we uh, may be con, uh, connecting again here in the next uh, you know month or so as we gear up to the start of sports. But uh, really appreciate your insight and uh, taking a few minutes to come on today. Sounds good, Travis. Appreciate it. Again, a big thank you to Dr. Lebecki for uh, for taking some time to join us. And it just uh, reiterates, you know, the, the WI wants to return to play. They want to return to play in a healthy and safer manner and uh, want to find a path forward to uh, to facilitate, you know, whatever schools are, are choosing to participate in, whatever schools are choosing to do um, during this time period and, and into the fall and, and however... Uh, long it takes. They uh, they want to hold events. They want to hold the state championships, and and will do whatever they can to facilitate that for the schools that uh, that are choosing to participate. We're excited. We're excited to get back. Um, we mentioned on Twitter this week that we're going to be trying to keep a, uh, a running document of what schools are using their contact days during the summer. Uh, obviously, there's some that cannot and, and are not being able to by their school district, by their local health departments, whatever. Dane County is um, not not fully back yet. The, the Madison School District has said that they will not hold any coach contact in, the, uh, in July. Um, Milwaukee County, Milwaukee uh, MPS athletics specifically is is on hold and, and may not resume um, at all for uh, this summer contact period. Uh, but there are people getting back at it, and we want to know about that. We want to try to find some opportunities to get out and cover that. So if you have not yet, uh, send us what you're doing. If it's a, a baseball game, if it's a softball game, if you're if you've got a five team mini track meet, a basketball tournament. Uh, you know, some football contact days, whatever. We'd love to hear about it. We'd love to get out and cover some high school sports once again for the first time. And seems like ages um, as we gear up to uh, get back to sports this month and fully, hopefully, back to sports next month. So as sports do resume, I am Travis Wilson. This has been a WSN podcast. We'll see you at a game. <laughs>